Talo Falava, I'm Johnny Blades. You're with The House. If there's one thing this retiring MP would change about Parliament, it's that more members would access services to help them manage their mind and body health in order to be resilient for the tumultuous times that come and go as part of the job. Bay of Plenty MP Todd Muller is leaving Parliament at the end of this term, wrapping up a nine-year stint which many will remember for the brief period in which he took over as leader of the National Party in opposition, then stood down in the face of a mental breakdown. But he has survived to tell the tale and finishes up as one of those rare MPs with a knack for bipartisanship who thrived in select committees and remains fascinated by the potential for human connection in the Parliament game. We began talking by reflecting on his entry to parliamentary politics in the John Key era. Well, it was uh, certainly quite a a different time to now. I mean, we I can still remember the campaign 2014. We all wore, wore Team Key uh, T-shirts. You know, there was the sort of brand of the National Party, the established brand of 80-something years, but uh, the focus very much was leveraging the uh, respect and popularity of, of John Key. So you come in in a government like that, which was starting its third term after beating uh, Labour's Cunliffe uh, comprehensively, like by almost 20 points. The thing that was quite surprising about that was the renewal that John Key had facilitated. So we had, I think, 14 MPs come in in the third term, which is largely unheard of. You know, normally by the third term, you're sort of trying to hold on to political power. Uh, You don't win in a big uh, surge for a third term normally and bring all these new MPs in. So I came in in 14 with, um, as I say, 14 uh, other national MPs, uh, a number of them from uh, established careers and safe seats, and uh, I walked in here side by side with an individual called James Shaw, who I'd never met before. I had heard of him because he was obviously in the Green Party, uh, and we sort of walked in as part of the welcoming hopefully, uh, uh, I guess, and uh, sort of turned to each other and made a comment around, gosh, you know, this is a different place than where we normally work, Uh, and the rest is history. So the two of us sort of uh, hit it off from day one. Uh, In terms of difference, I mean, when you start as an MP and you're a backbencher, but you start at the uh, back of a confident and popular government, uh, it's, uh, in some ways, it's um, quite an easy transition because it's very clear who the leaders are, it is very clear what is expected of you, uh, and it very much feels like boarding school. I never went to boarding school, I went to Tauranga Boys College, but when people tell me about their stories of boarding school, there's the hierarchy, you're a third former, this is where you cannot go, you can only do this uh, and you know follow these rules. It was very much like that, uh, and it was a self-fulfilling culture because we were 20 points ahead all the time. You know, he was very popular. We, as we sh- walked through that third term, uh, we remained uh, uh, popular. And of course, the greatest shock of that third term was his uh, uh, morning uh, caucus call in, I think it was December uh, 2016, saying, that's it, I'm out of here. And, uh, you know, really the things started to change from there. As a backbencher, though, did, did you have opportunities to talk, to shine... Yeah, well, you always have the opportunities in a um, members' bill context. Uh, I never, but you've got to have a bit of luck that, you know, the tin's got to work for you. In the first term, it didn't for me. 
Uh, it certainly has subsequently, but back then it didn't. It really, uh, you get the opportunity to shine in the select committees, right, because the government are progressing their political agenda. Uh, they look to people who can um, usher the process through with the appropriate level of public scrutiny, but ensuring that the government's uh, agenda is is uh, delivered upon. And so your ability to um, contribute to a select committee conversation, uh, have the personality to uh, manage, and competence actually, to be able to manage other people in the committee, both public when they turn up, and also your own colleagues and other uh, opposition um, uh, MPs, I guess the leadership look for that. Uh, and if you show signs of being quite able and competent in that area, you get promotion. So I was I was very lucky by I got asked to do environment on environment committee. I was on the social services committee, uh, on the education committee. I got brought in to be deputy chair and essentially sit um, eye to eye with a, a one Chris Hipkins. Uh, so that was a that was a great learning curve. But probably the committee I was most proud of and learnt the most in was chairing foreign affairs and trade because there was um, uh, Shearer was on it, uh, Annette King was on it, uh, and so these are formidable um, opposition MPs when you're chairing. And I learnt a lot about um, you know having humility. Uh, knowing, you know, being very clear around what we needed to achieve as a government, as a majority on that committee, but also acknowledging the, the skills and expertise and experience in the room. And I think I did that quite well and certainly got a lot of positive feedback from, uh, you know, the Labor side around how I managed that. And I think that probably started the sort of sense that I was someone who had uh, the ability to walk across and work across um, both sides of the House. It's said that you worked very well on the zero carbon bill while you're in opposition, you know, with, with the government, which is an important piece of legislation, and there's all sorts of things you have to navigate to do that. How was that process? Incredibly rewarding, but you're right, very challenging, because it's an unusual situation where you have an attempt to design collectively some enduring legislation. And so the credit for that uh, should sit with James Shaw, firstly, as a minister who decided and got cabinet support for a process which would be genuinely engaging with the opposition. Not, we will go and design it and then come and have a chat to you as to whether you think you could support elements of the bill, which is often framed as bipartisan. This was right from the very start. We got together, uh, including an agreed set of engagement rules that had been signed off by the Prime Minister and Simon Bridges, and the two of us got in a room uh, for weeks on end designing uh, the zero carbon bill. What was important to him, what was important to me, what we could live with, what he could live with. Uh, we just certainly didn't get everything we wanted uh, at all, but on either side. But we started from that premise that actually climate change was a multi-generational challenge. Uh, Parliament needed to, as an institution, have the capacity to deal with it with the largest breadth of support possible. Uh, and frankly, the two main uh, tribes, if you like, of New Zealand politics, Labour and National, has to be broadly aligned around how we deal with it. Not always aligned in terms of the specific policies needed f to deliver the targets, but the broad architecture of having targets, having a collective commitment to reduce our emissions, 
listen carefully to the advice of an independent commission. Uh, all of this, I think, uh, was good policy, uh, and it was, and it was, I think, appropriate that the both of us worked hard on it to try and get something that's enduring. The tribes should be working collectively on these big issues, shouldn't they? More often, I, I believe so. Um, you know, it's in some ways, you know, it's the luxury of a departing MP to hold a view like that because the the reality of politics is that it, you know it is a very fierce contest of ideas. Uh, and you want to be in government to be able to give effect to your ideas. Uh, and you know the argument is that bipartisanship is attractive to a government who wants an issue to go away, uh, and sometimes is attractive to the opposition because it allows them to sort of get an issue off the table as well. Uh, but um, there's, there's a more serious point, I think, to your observation. You know, with issues of national security, we uh, walk in lockstep with the government as the, as the government does in opposition, and that bipartisanship is an established uh, uh, way of operating in this place. Uh, I think that could be extended, should be extended to um, you know, other critical areas for the country. Now, if you take you know, foreign affairs, trade, uh, defence more broadly, and where we find New Zealand uh, in the geopolitical um, a wrestling match which is uh, increasingly occurring close to our shores, I think it makes sense to have the opposition and the government in sync. Now, that doesn't mean that the opposition finance, uh, uh, foreign affairs spokesperson needs to hop on the plane with the minister every day, uh, but there should be a greater degree of alignment, strategic alignment, if you like, between um, the national and labour in terms of how we approach these issues. It's really just taking people in confidence and building genuine respect. So if you're a foreign minister, you would build a genuine, respectful two-way conversation with your opposite. Uh, there would, of course, not be every meeting that they would be invited to. I'm not suggesting that. But just a, a courtesy of bringing them in to make uh, a, a greater understanding and, and acceptance around where we positioning New Zealand on the global stage and the drivers and risks around that. I think they are examples, and not an exclusive list, but examples of where we could do things uh, more collaboratively for the benefit of the country. Back in 2020, what convinced you to go for the opposition leader role? I had a strong uh, belief that we needed to change to have any opportunity to win. Um, and uh, the polls suggested that, uh, the party suggested that, significant number of um, people who support the party suggested that and it was one of those conversations that you look at at where the party was heading and frankly convince yourself that you uh, and the team you'd bring around you would do better in terms of uh, national party's fortunes than uh, than the status quo uh, and you know again that's the nature of politics right you back yourself you back the team that you've got around you and you think actually we could do this better uh, and of course you hold a view that you must do it because if you don't then the future um, uh, for the national party uh, in 2020 uh, you know under Simon Bridges would have been um, you know a parlous result and so, you know, all those permutations, if you like, distill in your mind and, you know, the opportunity presented itself because clearly I wasn't thinking that in isolation. Uh, as it turned out, the majority of the National Party caucus had the same view. Uh, but that was the, that was the major uh, driver. And, you know, when you look back, I mean, that COVID year, uh, 
you know, everything was turned on its head, right? Uh, you know, I have to acknowledge, as, because the facts are clear, that at the start of the year, 2020, our polling position was quite strong. But by mid-year, it was collapsing, right? You know, you had polls under 30%. Uh, and um, so, you know, we had made consideration that, frankly, we had to move or this, there could be no end to the bottom of it. Ultimately, it was, it was the wrong time, wasn't it, for you? And, and uh, you, you had to put your hand up in the end and say, this isn't for me, this isn't working health-wise, yeah. mental health-wise. Yes. And that was saying this is something that affects many of us, in fact. It's not often acknowledged. Talk to me a little bit about that and how that feels. Well, it uh, was so exciting to win uh, and to take over the leadership of a party that you know I'd been a member of for over 30 uh, years. And um, you know the first 48 hours or so, um, you know, it was a sort of sense of euphoria. Uh, and uh, by about day five, the first of the you know crippling anxiety attacks occurred, and as is well documented over the s- subsequent 50 days, it, it just became completely untenable, uh, and uh, and just completely overwhelmed with anguish and and pain. It's the something that you think back on, and I've had cause to in the last uh, 24 hours, Johnny, with uh, you know, watching Curry, uh, but it's the it's. The genuine uh, physical pain that is manifested when you are having a mental breakdown. Uh, That is, you know, I'd never, obviously never had one before, never had any experience with that in my career at Zespri and Fonterra. And so this was all completely foreign territory. And of course, I just kept working harder and harder to try and um, uh, grip onto the side of the bank, really, is the best analogy. And of course, you just keep. I I just kept slip, slipping to the point where, it just I, ha- I I had to stop the pain, and so I walked away. I was helped to walk away as opposed to anything more uh, personally dramatic uh, by you know a couple of good friends at the time. Did you get much support from the National Party? Uh, look, it was limited. Uh, a couple of phone calls uh, that were well received uh, by uh, the then leader Judith Collins, but. I look largely uh, left to my own devices. And these are people you've worked with for years mm. and close colleagues, I guess. Yeah. I think it's easy in retrospect for me to sort of sound bitter about it. I'm not. What it is is context is so important in this, in this game, right? Um, I was the leader. We were 80 days out from the election. I put my hand up to roll Simon. I've been successful. Um, 53 days on, you're in full campaign mode, and then you fall over. And so I think there were a number within the National Party who uh, felt extremely let down uh, and were angry because, you know, from their perspective, they could see... um, my actions in standing initially and then then walking away is having a material uh, detrimental effect to their political career. Uh, and so I can understand that. But no, the, um, the silence was deafening. Um, you know, there were a few texts, hope you're okay, um, and um, as always, there were some who were very, very good. But overall, um, the party very quickly swung in behind Judith, and they had a job to do. They had to try and 
you know, maximise the party vote through to the election in 2020. Uh, and um, I think also, again, being perhaps charitable, but I think it's a part of human nature, people see that you fall over and have taken yourself away completely from the public and are in your own home and your own space with your own family and your own love and you're trying to heal, people also say, actually, we'll just leave them to it. This is why this stuff is is so complex, right? It's at one level you think, oh, you know, where's all the love and support? Well, arguably, having space to have true love and support around you is caring. Mm. Although, you know... It's it, a fine balance, It's a isn't fine it? balance. But, you know, the short answer is it felt very lonely. Um, uh, but part of that was because I was in the bottom of a hole and slowly, very slowly, trying to walk back out of it. Remarkable that you have you survived that turbulence and you continue to work here and, and you know, contribute in many ways. What's been happening in the last few days, as you alluded to with uh, Kitty Allen, that's, that's difficult to see, isn't it? I mean, because... Yeah, terrible. MPs are human after all. Yeah. And look, um, I found it, um, you know, personally quite triggering, actually, the last two days you can sense the pain that Kerry is going through because you've gone through it. It just brings it all back, elements of it back, right? Because um, certainly in my case, and I can only ever talk about my case, you know, mental health recovery is a journey, right? It's not like flicking a switch. You don't fall over and then, you know, have a pill or two or go for a walk and do some yoga and the, and the f- switch gets flicked back up again. It's a long process of self-reflection and re- building resilience uh, and having days which are not as good as other days uh, and um, realising actually that this is that's fine, that's just being human and you can have days like that and you can understand why you feel sad and still function. And so that's what I mean when it when I'm say triggering is that you see the pain in Kerry's face and you can feel it because you you have walked your own version of it. Um, I'm very careful not to be comparative because as anyone listening who has been through their own challenges knows that it's very unique to them. Uh, but there are you can feel huge amount of empathy mm. for what she's going through. MPs are under a lot of pressure. It's a high-pressure environment, this place, and are MPs being uh, supported enough within the system, not just within their parties, but within the parliament system to do their job? My personal view is yes, I think they are. I think, again, I was really supported by parliament, um, you know, and I, and I want to acknowledge publicly um, Trevor Mallard, uh, who was very caring and, and went out of his way to make sure that um, I had the support around me, but also um, the specialist support around me. Uh, and so Parliament, and as is all employees here, we have uh, employee assistance programs, and, and so I lent on that. And so it's made me realise that actually often the systems and support systems are here, it's just that people don't use them and I think politicians in particular don't use them because it will be seen as weakness, uh, either in, to themselves or, you know, let alone if anyone else found out that you're using those uh, support uh, structures. And I think that's the bit that needs to change, is an understanding that actually in today's world, to be professional and at the top of your game, you um, it's appropriate for you to 
to access these uh, services to make you the best you can be. Uh, and I'll just give you one example. We had um, in February this year, the Parliamentary Education Trust uh, brought out a, a, a world specialist in um, um, you know, resilience, time management, you know, managing your body, mind and health. Uh, I think six MPs. It was available to all MPs. Uh, it's all fully paid for by the Parliamentary Environment Trust and six of us turned up out of 120. So that is, and this is a person who had provided support, uh, mental training and resilience support for uh, NBA um, players, teams, the All Blacks, and six MPs took it up. And I suspect the reason was, oh, I don't need to do that, I'm okay. And that's the bit that needs to change. Is there, is there any advice you would give to MPs staying on, new ones coming in especially? You absolutely need to be clear on uh, your purpose for being here. Stay true to your values because this place is tumultuous. It can be like a washing machine or a dryer and you can lose your orientation as to what's really important to you when the dryer stops. Because when the dryer stops and you walk out, um, you know, who is there? It's your wife or husband or partner uh, and your children uh, and your friends, the people who loved you before and you hope will be loving you at the end. Uh, and what you do hope is while you're here, in good faith, you, you seek to do good for your constituents at a local level and the country at a national level. And you just keep those sort of guiding principles of what's important in your life, integrity, integrity. Uh, and don't take it too seriously at one level, you know. The job is important, but you've got to be able to laugh at yourself. And some of the highlights of this place has been when you've been laughing to the tears roll down. Uh, and, you know, you've got to have that because that actually is important. And the other thing is, you know, be really interested in other people and build relationships across the house and across uh, the press gallery because we're all here trying to do a job and actually understanding the story behind the public face is fascinating. That's the Bay of Plenty MP Todd Muller, who is retiring from Parliament at the end of the term. And you've been listening to The House, a programme made possible with funding from Parliament's Office of the Clerk. Tōwha soifua.